Today on the Arts Report, we have two more push previews for you. Uh, portraits in Motion and a unique live animation performance called Good Gets Better. Uh, we'll also tell you about solo shows by UBC Theatre. We'll tell you about vagina monologues coming to UBC. And an interview with artist T. Nile. So uh, stay with us for all that. Hello and welcome to the Arts Report for February the 2nd, 2011. You're listening to us on CITR 101.9 FM or CITR.ca. I'm your host, Adam Janusz, and I'm enjoying this lovely new chair, which apparently has been at CITR for quite a while, but only inside the studio. I've only noticed it today. And honestly, it just... The way it just cradles you, it's just, it's, it's, I know it's going to be a great show because of this chair. I can just say that right now. Um, it's February 2nd, so it's uh, Groundhog Day, and according to the three most important uh, groundhogs in North America, which include Wyerton Willie and Punxsutawney Phil, as well as Nova Scotia's Shobanakity Sam, where do they get these names? Um, according to all three of them, it will be an early spring. Um, they did not see their shadows. Uh, none of, n neither of these three, none of these three saw their shadows. So apparently early spring for us all. Of course, uh, it's complete garbage scientifically. Uh, Weather-wise, we have no idea what will happen. But um, the, the roots of this thing apparently go back. I actually looked this up on Wikipedia. The holiday, which began as a Pennsylvania-German custom in southeastern and central Pennsylvania in the 18th and 19th centuries, has its origins in ancient European weather lore, wherein a badger or sacred bear is the prognosticator as opposed to the groundhog. The holiday also bears some similarities to the medieval Catholic holiday of, get this, Candlemas. There was, a, there was a holiday called Candlemas. Well, why, is, why don't we have Candlemas anymore? Uh, anyway, uh, it also bears similarities to the pagan festival of the seasonal turning point of the Celtic calendar, which is celebrated on February 1st and also involves weather prognostication, uh, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, so that's the story on Groundhog Day. Uh, we're going to have an early spring, according to these groundhogs. It's going to be fantastic. All right, on today's show, uh, we have uh, the Push Festival is coming to an end on February the 6th. And uh, we have, we've, if you've been listening, we've had incredible amounts of uh, Push content over the last, uh, I guess, uh, three weeks. Three, four weeks, and um, it's, it's sadly coming to an end. I've had a really, it's been a real pleasure interviewing uh, artists from all over the world coming to our city to uh, show off the sort of cutting edge of performing arts. And so we have two more shows to tell you about. One is called Portraits in Motion, and the other is uh, Good Gets Better, which is a live animation thing where it's just a man with an overhead projector and uh, somehow puts on an amazing animation show that makes people cry. So we'll find out how that works. Um, we'll also have Barbara Kozitsky, who has been on the Arts Report before. Uh, she's a, a fine and talented actor, and she's doing a solo show. That is to say, uh, a one-woman show as part of uh, the completion of her acting program here at UBC. And uh, so we'll give you the scoop on that. Also, uh, we'll tell you about the Vagina Monologues, which are coming to UBC as part of V-Day. 
in support of, uh, or I guess against, in, in opposition to violence against women. So we'll tell you about that and, uh, and some other good stuff as well. But first, I wanted to start off the show with um, a piece of a TED Talk. Um, TED Talks are these amazing lectures that you find at TED.com, not surprisingly. And they just have these amazing speakers on a variety of fields, uh, experts and, and cutting-edge um, sort of researchers on the forefront of every field. And they had this education expert uh, several times, and his name is Ken Robinson. And if you... Are, uh, if you like TED Talks and if you go there, you, you probably already know this guy. He's blown my mind uh, on the topic of, of modern education, that is to say our public school system, and, and how it's terribly, terribly outdated. Um, so I wanted to play uh, a piece of one, of one of his speeches where he talks about how one of the greatest victims of today's education system is the arts. Because basically in our system, academic things are valued. So, you know, math, reading and writing and, uh, and things like that. And the arts really get uh, short-shifted. And so, so I'll just give you a couple of points about because I'm going to take it through halfway. Um, the clip that I have is halfway through this, this lecture that he's done. And in the first half, he talks about, uh, well, first of all, it's called Changing Education Paradigms. Okay. And in the first bit, he talks about how the modern education system was created in the late 1700s and it came out of the enlightenment and the industrial revolution so before the 1700s there was no such thing as schools you could be educated by monks you know by jesuits but uh, besides that if you had a lot of money but besides that there was no such thing as a school that was a revolutionary concept but the thing is it came out of an idea out of the enlightenment where, where people thought intelligence meant that you were really good at, um, you know, measurable things like, uh, like math and reading, and also your knowledge of classics, so your knowledge of, like, Greek mythology. That's, if you knew that, then you were smart. Everyone else who didn't know those things were idiots. And that's the sort of foundation of our school system today, as well as the Industrial Rev Revolution, which was all about things being sort of mechanized and assembly-lined. And if you, he'll, he'll talk about this, but school is exactly the same way. You put in kids on one side in this industrial factory and they come out the other end supposedly expertly trained and finished like finished products so anyway he talks about that and then the other thing he he mentions is is the epidemic of adhd attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and how there's an epidemic of this going on in the u.s and he believes that part of it is really misguided because he says they're they're giving you know, kids Ritalin and things, you know, drugs. They're drugging their kids up because they can't pay attention in school. But he says, how can you blame them when school is really boring compared to everything else in the world, from, from video games to movies? Everything is, like, 3D and, and interactive. And then you go to school and you're just supposed to sit in a desk and watch your teacher for uh, all day as they write on a chalkboard or an overhead projector. Like, that's crazy so anyway he says that arts are a victim of this sort of adhd uh labeling and so uh that's yeah so that's my setup to that uh have a listen to uh ken robinson if you think of it the arts and i don't say this exclusively the arts i think it's also true of science and of maths but let me i say about the art particularly because they are the victims of this mentality currently particularly the arts especially address the idea of 
aesthetic experience. An aesthetic experience is one in which your senses are operating at their peak. When you're present in the current moment, when you're resonating with the excitement of this thing that you're experiencing, when you are fully alive. An anesthetic is when you shut your senses off and deaden yourself to what's happening. And a lot of these drugs are that. We're getting our children to education by anesthetizing them. And I think we should be doing the exact opposite. We shouldn't be putting them asleep. We should be waking them up to what they have inside of themselves. But the model we have is this. It's, I believe we have a system of education that is modeled on the interests of industrialism and in the image of it. I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, schools are still pretty much organized on factory lines, so ringing bells, separate facilities, uh, specialized into separate subjects. Um, we still educate children by batches. You know, we put them through the system by age group. Why do we do that? You know, why is there this assumption that the most important thing kids have in common is how old they are? You know, it's like the most important thing about them is their date of manufacture. You know what I mean? Well, I know kids who are much better than other kids at the same age in different disciplines. You know, or at different times of the day. Or better in smaller groups than in large groups. Or sometimes they want to be on their own. If you're interested in the model of learning, you don't start from this production line mentality. These are, it's essentially about conformity, and increasingly it's about that as you look at the growth of standardized testing and standardized curricula. And it's about standardization. I believe we've got to go in the exact opposite direction. That's what I mean about changing the paradigm. There was a great study done recently of divergent thinking. Published a couple of years ago, divergent thinking isn't the same thing as creativity. I define creativity as the, the process of having original ideas that have value. Divergent thinking isn't a synonym, but it's a, an essential capacity for creativity. It's the ability to see lots of possible answers to a question, lots of possible ways of interpreting a question, uh, to think what Edward de Bono would probably call laterally, uh, to think not just in linear or convergent ways, uh, to see multiple answers, not one. So, I mean, there are tests for this. I mean, one kind of cod example would be people might be asked to say, how many uses can you think of for a paperclip? One of those routine questions. Most people might come up with 10 or 15. People who are good at this might come up with 200. And they do that by saying, well, could the paperclip be 200 foot tall and be made out of foam rubber? You know, like, does it have to be a paperclip as we know it, Jim? You know. Um, now, there are tests for this. And they gave them to 1,500 people. This is in a book called Breakpoint and Beyond. And on the protocol of the test, if you scored above a certain level, you'd be considered to be a genius at divergent thinking. Okay? So, my question to you is, what percentage of the people tested, of the 1,500, scored at genius level for divergent thinking? Now, you need to know one more thing about them. These were kindergarten children. So what do you think? What percentage at genius level? 80. 80, okay. 98%. Now, the thing about this was it was a longitudinal study. So they retested the same children five years later. Age of 8 to 10. What do you think? 50. They retested them again five years later, ages uh, 13 to 15. You can see a trend here, can't you? <laughs> Now, this tells an interesting story, because you could have imagined it going the other way, couldn't you? You start off not being very good, but you get better as you get older. But this shows two things. One is, we all have this capacity, and two, it mostly deteriorates.
Now, a lot of things have happened to these kids as they've grown up. A lot. But one of the most important things that happened to them, I'm convinced, is that by now, they've become educated. They, you know, they've spent 10 years at school being told there's one answer, it's at the back. And don't look. And don't copy, because that's cheating. I mean, outside schools, that's called collaboration. You know, but <laughs> inside schools. Now, this isn't because teachers want it this way. It's just because it happens that way. Um, it's because it's in the gene pool of education. We have to think differently about human capacity. We have to get over this old conception of academic, non-academic, abstract, theoretical, vocational, uh, and see it for what it is, um, a myth. Uh, secondly, we have to recognize that most great learning happens in groups, that collaboration is the stuff of growth. If we atomize people and separate them and judge them separately, we form a kind of disjunction between them and their natural learning environment. And thirdly, it's crucially about the culture of our institutions, the habits of the institution and the habitats that they occupy. All right, and that is Ken Robinson talking about uh, changing education paradigms. And you can find that talk uh, as well as two other ones that he has on there that are absolutely fascinating and enlightening about uh, the failure of, of modern education systems and how uh, the arts in particular are being uh, not treated very kindly by our education system. So check those out at TED.com. TED.com. If you haven't already, some of you probably have because uh, TED is awesome. Um, okay, so we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we'll tell you about Portraits in Motion, a push show coming this week. Hey, and we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR, 101.9 FM in Vancouver. Volker Gerling makes these portrait film books uh, featuring random people he meets on his travels around first Germany and now Vancouver. He'll be at Club Push on Thursday showing his photographs and the stories behind them. I spoke to Volker via Skype uh, about the art of conversation and about how, working, how walking excuse me, provides just the right pace for experiencing people and place. But first, uh, here he is talking about how his work has two parts. So what I do is that I go onto the streets in Vancouver and I show to them my traveling exhibition. Traveling exhibition means that I have a vendor tray in front of me and on this vendor tray are sets of my photographic flipbooks. And uh, you have to imagine that at the front of the tray, there's a sign saying, please visit my traveling exhibition. And that's what I do. And I'm not, I'm not so much looking for faces. I, I just be there. I'm very open-minded. And I wait that people approach me. Mm -hmm. I invite them to, to have a look at my exhibition. And, and I very much hope that there will be some encounters which are so intensive and which... Uh, will have a story behind the, the encounter that I'm going to make new flip books. Hmm. That's what I want to do. 
And so I'm curious, uh, what have you, what, have you already started this in Vancouver? What, what are some experiences that you've had here already? Yes, I started already. So sometimes it was a little bit difficult because, as you know, the weather is not that fine no. in Vancouver. <laughs> no. I normally used to do this um, in the summertime in Germany. But also I had uh, very nice encounters. For example, I met uh, an artist from Mexico. She was so so thankful that I showed him my work, and he said to me that he don't believe in galleries, and so he was so glad to to see an exhibition taken outside on the street. So we talked, and uh, when we said goodbye, and we we he went off, and 20 meters later he turned round and and shouted thank you again, and that made me very happy. For example. Hmm. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it sounds like it's, it's these small moments, these small experiences that are very important. And I wonder if, if why do you feel that it's important to, to capture these moments? Do you, do you feel almost like that, that these moments are harder to come by maybe in, in our modern world? Or, or what is it that's important? Yeah, I, 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 that's, yeah, I think so, because uh, normally these, these small moments I, I show in my flipbook, you can see very often and everywhere, but they are so quick that you, ca you can't capture them in normal. But in my flipbook, you, you can look at them time and time again, and these small moments are becoming bigger and bigger. And that's, that's what I really like, and that's uh, sort of poetic, and it's a little bit like a poem, because mm. the flipbook is quite short, but, but I try to capture the, the big things in the short moments, the big things and the small things. That's what I try to, to capture. And and uh, travel is a big part. You said that uh, you did this in Germany in the in the summer, and and uh, and and what does that add to to your experience? The the you know, I get the impression that you you're not satisfied by just um, you know parachuting from one place to another. That it's that it's about the walking. It's about the the actual travel. Is that is that an important part? Yeah, the the walking is very important to me because I realized that. That's uh, the right uh, speed if you want to encounter people. You know, uh, if I would travel on a bike, for example, I would be too fast that people couldn't stop me and say hello to me. Mm -hmm. So I like it very much to walk and uh, to see how the landscape is changing and uh, to be on my own. When I'm in, in towns or in cities, uh, I have many encounters, of course, on my walks, I speak to many people. I have to drink uh, lots of beer sometimes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I like it very much uh, in between to be in the countryside and to be only with me and uh, to become curious again for for meeting the next people. Yeah, and just and just again, I, I want to touch on how it seems like such a simple concept it seems so yeah. simple just to to speak with people and yet somehow it feels kind of revolutionary or or it it seems startling do you do you get that from do you get that reaction from people who see the show that are surprised by that duality of of simplicity yet yet power yes i think that's exactly what what people feel when they see my show it's it's really it, it is quite simple that's true, but uh, people have forgotten how amazing it is when when things 
come to to a life on the screen you know because it's absolutely normal for me for us and um, in the flipbook show you you feel that it's not that normal and and it's it's really great and it's uh, it's a new way of of viewing a new way of encountering people when you see the the flipbook screened or projected on the big screen and that's Volker Gerling talking about portraits in motion, which are coming to Club Push, which is going to be at Performance Works on Granville Island. Club Push is sort of um, uh, the sort of more experimental side of the Push Fest. So rather than at, at traditional uh, theaters and, and traditional venues, um, they take certain pieces, certain, uh, certain works that don't really fit in a, into a traditional theater and put them in Club Push, where it's a little bit more sort of um, open-minded, you know? So, yeah, at Performance Works. And tickets are $25. This will be, did I say it's uh, February 3rd, uh, which is tomorrow, Thursday. Uh, and it begins at 8 p.m. And you can get tickets from pushfestival.ca or you can go to citr.ca right now and you will find links to this and all the other features we are going to have on the show. All right. So I think we'll just... Uh, are we gonna, we're going to launch right into the next one. Yes. Okay. Uh, good gets better. Daniel Barrow wowed audiences in the 2009 Pushfest with his one-of-a-kind live animation show called Looking for Love in the Hall of Mirrors using an overhead projector. You know, like the one your math teachers used and the ones that Ken Robinson rants against. Except his shows cannot be confused with the tedium of algebra. They are emotional, ironic, twisted, and in the case of looking for love in the Hall of Mirrors, tear-jerking. Well, now, Daniel Barrow is back with his 2009 hit and also with a new piece called Good Gets Better. So here's Daniel talking about how eliciting a strong emotional response from his audience is a vital part of his work. It's created um, to strike a certain emotional chord within myself and... Mm -hmm. In doing so, I hope that I will strike the same chord in an audience. But yeah, I always feel like the piece hasn't been entirely successful if uh, uh, people walk away feeling nothing. Mm -hmm. Well, and, that, and that's interesting that um, there, there's a very large audience sort of component because, you know, in theater they say that uh, the audience is sort of like the last cast member, right? And that without the audience, you don't have a play. You know, would you say that right. about your work? Without the audience, you know, your work is sort of incomplete? Yeah, I would definitely say that. In fact, um, more and more I've started casting the audience. <laughs> really? How does that, how does that work? Uh, well, I'm developing a piece right now, for instance, that uses the actual shadows of the people sitting in the front row um, as characters. So there's two projectors. One uh, projects a background which casts a shadow of... Um, people in the front row and then the other projector projects inside the shadows sort of casting each of those silhouettes as a character in the yeah. performance hmm. and can you tell us a bit about uh, about this year's uh, push uh, performances what uh, what should people expect uh, well the new piece is about a Harlequin jewel thief um, and it's Brand new, so I'm not used to talking about it yet, but um, mm -hmm. it's, um, it's basically just a character study about um, uh, this sort of faceless, masked 
criminal who um, creeps from boudoir to boudoir, uh, stealing jewels and um, making out with his victims in their sleep. Kind of, <laughs> Is that right? Uh, sort of revival or reimagining of um, the popular um, cultural reference from the 70s, the, um, the Kissing Bandit. Mm, okay. I don't know if you remember, if you're old enough to remember uh, Kissing Bandits, but um, I mean, there was even a Kissing Bandit on the Flintstone. It was it was a very popular cultural reference, just the idea that this burglar would come into your house at night and uh, steal all of your uh, precious and sacred objects and then kiss you in your sleep and leave a rose on your pillow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm not old enough to know that, but it just, uh, <laughs> do you think that could be done today? I, I don't know. It seems almost if, if that I was... Don't, I don't know that it was ever actually done. Was, <laughs> right. Like, it, it was always a sort of, uh, sort of fant- fantasized version of reality, right? Yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, I mean, I think today that would just be considered rape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess there was just less consciousness about that in the mm-hmm. 70s, but, uh, so it, it didn't seem as taboo. It was kind of this erotic fantasy, I guess. Wow, interesting. And, and that example um, that you bring up uh, kind of brings to mind your work where you combine you know, really bright colors uh, with subject matter that's not necessarily... Uh, so bright, and I wonder what's. Do, do you think it serves as a good uh, contrast to the sort of darker content of the show, or do you just like, you know, bright colors? <laughs> I mean, I like to walk the fine line of irony between tragedy and comedy, but I also like to address really dark subject matter. And I think a really effective way to do that with an audience is to um, use an avenue that employs a lot of humor. So, um, yeah, often this is a sense of. Um, talking about something really dark but moderated in a really gentle or um, humorous way. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like another way to sort of uh, uh, sneak up on your audience, not to make it sound like it's you know a trick or anything, but uh, it's another way to sort of surprise or, or, or stimulate the audience. Yeah, exactly. And that is Daniel Barrow. Am I on the air? I think. Yeah, okay, I'm definitely on the air. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it just the light didn't come on, uh, so I, I wasn't sure. Um, okay, so Good Gets Better, as well as Looking for Love in the Hall of Mirrors, are coming to Club Push on February the 4th and the 5th, which is uh, Friday and Saturday, right? Yes. And that's at Performance Works on Granville Island. Tickets are $25 for that. Uh, pushfestival.ca under uh, Club Push. Uh, you can find it there or uh, at citr.ca. You'll see uh, the little Good Gets Better paragraph and uh, and a photo, and you can click on that, and it'll take you right to the page that you need to get to. Okay, so we're going to take a break, but uh, when we come back, we still have lots of show for you. We'll tell you about uh, the solo shows, which is difficult to say, but probably fun to see. Uh, a collection of solo projects from uh, graduating actors here at UBC Theatre. We'll also tell you about uh, the vagina monologues. And uh, we'll have an interview with singer-songwriter T. Nile. So stay with us. Theatre at UBC presents the world premiere of Double Double Foil and Fumble, a farcical, intelligent, whirlwind play written by MFA candidate Ren Hanman and directed by Hersey Innit. Double Double Foil and Fumble follows the story of five friends who get together to weave some magic, 
only none of them know what they're doing, half of them don't believe in magic, and some of them have ulterior motives. Add in some gender-bending reality shifts and you've got yourself a fabulous evening in the theater. Admission is by donation, with all proceeds going to Positive Space at UBC. Double Double Foil and Fumble plays February 9th to the 12th in the Dorothy Somerset Studio on UBC campus. Showtime is 7.30 p.m., 6.30 on February 11th. Hey, and we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at citr.ca and, of course, in podcast form, which goes up every Wednesday about an hour or two after the show finishes here at 6 p.m. The podcast goes up. Um, I've got a crinkly crinkly thing here. I have a, I have a chocolate vagina in my hand, and uh, I'll tell you what that means a little later in the show. But um, but first, I wanted to tell you about um, A Comedy of Errors, and that's coming to Studio 58 at Langara College. It's actually already started January 27th until Febu- February the 20th. And uh, what does it say here? Studio 58, the nationally renowned professional theater training program at Langara, proudly presents a hilarious and ruckus comedy of mistaken identity, one of Shakespeare's all-time favorites. The Comedy of Errors tells the story of two sets of identical twins that were accidentally separated at birth. Antiphilus and Syracuse and his servant Dromeo arrive in Ephesus, which turns out to be the home of their twin brothers, Antiphilus and Ephesus and his servant Dromeo and hilarity ensues. So that's uh, that's playing at uh, at uh, Studio 58 at Langara, and uh, we're working on getting an interview for that uh, possibly next week. So so stay tuned for that. Now, a few months back, we told you about the Madonna painter uh, put on here at uh, at UBC by UBC Theatre, featuring an award-winning actress named Barbara Kozitsky. Well, Barbara is back, wrapping up her acting program at UBC in just a matter of weeks with a one-woman show of her own creation. You can catch a whole class worth of these solo projects next week for free, which is nice. Uh, so Barbara came down and... Well, actually, Barbara came down and... Uh, she asked if if I could help her make uh, a news clip, like uh, like if you were listening to the radio news, that will play in in her show. So so I, I she invited me to play the part of like a news journalist interviewing a sort of a politician about um, like environmental calamities, all these terrible uh, catastrophes were happening, and the government was going to make all public land open for development. And so I was so yeah. So we made this lovely little clip, and uh, although I would love to to play it for you on air, it is top top secret, and you can only get it at. Uh, at the shows next week, but I did. Uh, after we finished this clip, I, I snagged Barbara for for a quick interview. So, uh, so here she is explaining uh, the purpose of the final solo show project. Well, it's uh, the final project in the third year of the BFA acting program. Mm-hmm. So, um, myself and all of my classmates are given the daunting and fascinating task of creating an 8 to 12 minute long solo show so entirely self-written um, has to be starring just yourself but you have to transform into at least four characters mm-hmm. so yeah, the world is your oyster I guess mm-hmm. and um, now your show has to do uh, with some dark themes doesn't well, it yeah I've got four characters who are reacting to the very sincere feeling that their world is going to end um, so I guess that is somewhat dark subject matter, but I think it also it just explores 
a very personal reaction to this feeling of being painted into a corner or feeling like your time is going to end. Okay, so in the clip that uh, that we worked on, we dealt with uh, environmental strife and sort of world calamity. Uh, could you could you expand a little on, on what's happening on Earth in, in your show? Um, well, I'm creating this uh, world where it's, it is our world, but um, climate change and, and natural disasters are, are really creating a, a setting where it seems like the world is coming to an end. Like millions of people are being displaced and there's a lot of strife going on with that. So it kind of just sets the tone and is a jumping off place for the viewers to understand why these people are having this this really big feeling and fear that their world is ending. Mm-hmm. And as a solo show, is that uh, intimidating at all to be on the stage all by yourself? Um, well, first off, let me ask you, have you guys done this in your program before, like as a project where you're just on the stage by yourself, like monologues? Or? Well, we, we do monologues and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's typically you're doing somebody else's work, so it's a monologue from a play right. or doing something like that. So, yeah, this is the first time that we've um, had to be alone on stage. Yeah, with your own ideas. and Yeah, your own work, too, your own right? Work, yeah. So, so what's that, how's, that, how's that experience been? You know, it's been scary and exciting and terrifying, but, like, all in the really great ways that I think mm-hmm. an artist likes to be pushed. Uh, you're trying new things and and uh, risking uh, and and discovering a lot of stuff like I think it's I think one of the greatest things that it's teaching me is how you start that writing process because creating your own work is such an amazing way of opening doors mm-hmm. excellent uh, now besides this there are some other exciting projects that uh, the EBC theater is is doing in the next fight weeks. night fight night what is fight that night. Uh, so we are taking uh, fight choreography as part of our program and one of the great things we get to do is we get to choreograph these fights and then present them for lucky viewers who want to watch acting students beat each other up whoa yeah and there's also a talent showcase yes the talent showcase is going to be once again uh, the final year BFAs um, pulling out all the stops doing uh, presentations of all their different kinds of talent to raise money for future scholarships cool and that'll be in March. Yes. Awesome. Well, uh, break many legs, and we look forward to, to the show, the show solo showcase next week. Thanks. <laughs> I can't, I can't. See, this is why today on air I'm saying solo shows slowly and carefully because I, I botched it there. Okay, that was uh, Barbara Kaczynski, and um, there was... Now, I, I have to... Okay, when, when the solo shows happen, they will be at uh, the TELUS Studio Theatre at the Chan Centre uh, at UBC. But uh, the latest scoop I have is that they have not officially confirmed the time. So it was going to be February 11th and 12th, but that may not be accurate. So um, you'll have to uh, keep your ears peeled uh, and we'll let you know on, on next, uh, next week's Arts Report. Or another way to sort of uh, stay on top of things is to follow us on Twitter. We are CITR uh, underscore Arts Report uh, on Twitter. So you can follow us there. You can just uh, do it on. You don't have to type anything. You can do it automatically from our website, CITR.ca. You can uh, subscribe to our feed and thus follow us there. Now, there's two other things that Barbara mentioned, and that was, let's see, uh, Fight Night. And that will be April 7th. And the talent showcase is on April the 1st. So uh, there you have it. Okay, we're going to take another quick break, and then we'll finally explain what the Chocolate Vaginas is all about uh, when we come back.
The UBC Bookstore's semi-annual sale is happening this weekend. February 4th and 5th, get 20% off clothes, gifts, general books except bestsellers, supplies, and technology accessories. And that's not all. End-of-season merchandise is up to 75% off. Come get your save on at the UBC Bookstore's semi-annual sale February 4th and 5th. East Mall and University Boulevard on UBC campus. Visit the UBC Bookstore on Facebook for more information. Hey, and we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM. Man, that was a really hip reading ad. That, bo- that, that ad makes me want to go read a book and, and get my read on. Um, anyway, V-Day, what is V-Day? It's an international movement advocating the end of violence against women. To that end, UBC V-Day is putting on the vagina monologues with proceeds going to four different charities. Coordinator Sophia Bengal came to our studio to tell us more about the two plays being presented, and I asked her about the lingering discomfort around the word vagina. <laughs> Here's Sophia explaining what V-Day is. Um, so V-Day is an international organization that helps to end violence against women. So UBC V-Day is that movement here on campus. Mm-hmm. And, but I guess how do you, how is this organization or, or this movement, how does it seek to, to do this? Um, so on campus, um, this past year, we've held weekly meetings. Mm-hmm. We um, put on two shows, The Vagina Monologues and A Memory Monologue, Ranch and a Prayer. And we have events where we raise money and all the money goes to local organizations to help end violence against women. Cool. Tell us about these organizations. There's four, right? Yes, so there's four. One of them being um, V-Day International, where we have to give about 10% of our proceeds um, for their Spotlight event, which is now this year focused on Haiti. Mm. Um, One of our other beneficiaries uh, is the Sexual Assault Support Center, which is located here on campus, which is awesome. Mm. The other one is the Vancouver Status of Women. And finally, we have Wish, which is a drop-in center in the down e- downtown east side. Cool. Yeah. And, okay, so let's touch on the shows. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, uh, I mean, I'm sure everybody's heard of the Vagina Monologues, <laughs> maybe not seen it, but what is, what is the Vagina Monologues about? Um, the Vagina Monologues is an all-women's show where people who identify as women. And it's basically... Um, Eve Ensler interviewed over 200 women, and she picked things from those interviews and created monologues about women's experiences, mm. either um, with by themselves, with their vagina, or just things like that. And it's super awesome. It's a lot of fun, and it, it focuses on the vagina so the vagina yeah. monologues. Yeah, and that and that that word like is sort of part of the show it, it, part of the sort of importance of the show right isn't it because um, didn't I hear somewhere that you know there's so many words for penis and there's so many different ways that that we have in language to express it but with the vagina it seems somehow not as easy yeah it seems uh, it's come culturally that it's one of those things that we're not supposed to say right, right. Um, you know when you go around promoting the show people are like wait did she just say vagina <laughs> um and it definitely has become one of those things where people don't like to mention the vagina. Yeah. So definitely trying to promote it or make it equally as important as penis, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and tell us about the other show. 
The other show is A Memory, a Monologue, A Rant, and a Prayer. And it's a compilation of works from a bunch of different artists, mm -hmm. so it's not just written by Eve Ensler. And it's an all-gendered cast, which is awesome. And this one um, focuses more on sexual assault or sexual something for all genders, not just focusing on the vagina. Okay. Which is, which is really cool. Okay. Yeah. And uh, now speaking of uh, sort of going out there on the street to promote the show, uh, yesterday I ran into a giant <laughs> vagina. <laughs> Was she trying to sell you vagina chocolate? Uh. <laughs> um, one of our way of ways of advertising is we have a huge vagina trying to yell, shout, get people to come up to our booth um, to promote the shows. We also have some videos on YouTube. You can check out um, their UBC V-Day 2010-2011, a bunch of vaginas dancing around which is <laughs> a lot of fun to watch cool and um and involved in the show is not just ubc students but people from the community as well yeah um so they have to be affiliated with ubc somehow mm -hmm. but um they don't strictly have to be students we have faculty we have alumni it's awesome it's getting the whole community together and bringing them here on campus which is a lot of fun and that's Sophia Bengel, uh, coordinator for UBC V Day, telling us about uh, vagina monologues and a memory, a monologue, a rant, and a prayer, both of which will be at the Frederick Wood Theatre here at the UBC campus. Tickets are $15 for that. And you can uh, purchase tickets and get more information from our website, citr.ca, where you will find a link to uh, the appropriate ticket purchasing page so check that out and that is on i didn't give a date that's uh, february 8th until the 12th and uh what does it say 8 p.m and february the 12th at 2 p.m so there's a matinee on february the 12th uh but otherwise 8 p.m so check that out all right we're gonna take another quick break and uh when we come back we'll not only uh give you an interview with uh, singer songwriter t nile but who by the way um, has been uh, has received the title of Best New and Emerging Artist at the Canadian Folk Music Awards. But we'll also give you we'll play a tune and give you a preview of a Saturday's uh, show at the Cobalt, which will feature Topless Gay Love Techno Party. Yes, that's the name of the band, Topless Gay Love Techno Party. So um, stay with us for that. Get your tickets for the annual Malaysia-Singapore night on February 5th at the Student Union Building Ballroom on the UBC campus. The evening showcases multiculturalism with an array of cultural dances, contemporary music, and Southeast Asian cuisine. For more information and tickets, email msnubc2011 at gmail.com or visit clubs.ams.ubc.ca slash clubs slash smc. That's Malaysia-Singapore night, February 5th, sponsored in part by CITR 101.9 FM, the UBC campus and community radio station. You always stay. So after getting Best New and Emerging Artist at the Canadian Folk Music Awards, uh, singer-songwriter T. Nile, a.k.a. Tamara Nile, 
was helping out at the at a benefit for Galliano Conservancy Association, which is hoping to raise four point one million dollars for a restorative learning center on Galliano Island to expand their popular outdoor education programs for inner city youth in Vancouver and Victoria. Now, Nick Panu, uh, he was there and brings us this story. We have this pleasure, this opportunity of speaking to T. Nile at the Youth and Nature event at the Wardour to raise money so uh, inner city kids can uh, spend time on Gillian Island. Yeah, um, the, this is a fundraiser for um, the Youth and Nature program, which um, the Galliano Conservancy uh, dreamed up, and it's the plan is to purchase a piece of land that they can build a learning center on that will um, accommodate um, different uh, occasions, including and especially youth coming from inner city Vancouver and Victoria and other parts of the province um, and possibly the country to uh, come to Galliano and spend time in nature and learn from that and uh, just yeah, because <laughs> it. They, um, it's Galliano is a very restorative place, and also um, the people that are putting this on the conservancy—they haven't been involved. They've already purchased fairly large uh, pieces of land that have been made into parks, and uh, so Galliano is a very special place. If you haven't been there, those listening, and if you have, you know it already. Um, it's a very special place, and uh, there's gorgeous nature, and it's very accessible. And uh, so often, kids that grow up in the city don't have the opportunity to actually be in nature. Nature is where we come from, and we can't exist without it. So, yeah. Yeah, myself, uh, I grew up on uh, North Vancouver Island, uh, Nooka Sound. Wow. Uh, you know, it's a very egalitarian and uh, a community. Yes, uh, So, you know, kids in the inner city, again, uh, going over the challenges they face, and it really benefits them being exposed to something that is probably an innate. But the thing is, uh, they, they won't realize it until till actually getting this opportunity to be exposed to it. But the community, I agree with that. The point you made about community, that's another thing, is that um, kids in the city often grow up without a strong sense of community, also without intergenerational contact. They're all oh. segregated off into their own little age groups. And, oh. you know, a lot of times people don't even have, their grandparents live somewhere else, their aunts and uncles. They don't. Oh. So one thing that's special about Galliano and people that come to Galliano experience this because it's the community is so strong is there is a community and is multi-generational and you know when there's a dance at the hall people of all ages are there and, and also I think like coming from sort of um, lower socioeconomic like you know poor families and you know that maybe don't get a chance to go camping or um, um, take vacations um, and they have other they have other and maybe that's the other thing is maybe realizing the richness of life beyond just money and realizing your yes. potential as a, as a person when you're away from the constant reminders of status and class yeah, which definitely. in the city is very strong and a, the same thing I find um, or 
I find that on Galliano, um, of course, there's still that, but it's it's much less and it's different. It's like it's maybe because there's fewer people, everyone kind of has to come together and somehow figure it out, you know. And uh, and people matter more. Every single person on the island matters to the community and can make a difference very obviously. And if someone's gone, people notice, and when they come, it's like, you know, that can drive you crazy too. But, you know, there's something really good about that because every single person matters. In the city, you can just feel like a cog in a wheel and just, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's good that way. I uh, really enjoyed uh, the, the music, uh, the sets you performed tonight. Uh, some of the sets you performed were from your new album and your new album is coming out? Uh, well, I don't know yet, but I'm thinking probably in the fall of this year. I, I also have a show coming up at the Railway Club on the 10th of February with two other great bands, um, Bonnie Blackout and Melissa Bandura. And uh, I have two albums um, and, uh, that are already out and another one coming and uh, so, yeah, <laughs> thanks for letting me plug that. Thanks for this interview, and I'm glad that somebody's uh, putting it out there. And uh, But, um, yeah, I, I think everybody that's interested should go online and look up the Youth in Nature program. You can Google Google it, Google Galliano and Youth in Nature. And, and if you want to donate, we encourage donations. We're still, we still have a lot of money to raise. I say we, I'm not actually, I'm volunteering my musical services, but I, I guess I feel very connected to it because I am from Galliano. But yeah, anybody that wants to volunteer, I wish I actually had a, maybe you can look it up and, and cut and paste that in there, like a link to if people want to donate to this program. Yeah, and thanks so much, and it's good to talk to you. And that's Nick Panu talking to singer-songwriter T. Nile. And uh, the Galliano Conservancy Association is still looking for about a million dollars. Um, sorry, it just sounds like a lot of money that they're looking for, but, uh, but every donation makes a difference. And if you want to donate, you can go to gallianoconservancy.ca for that. Okay, so uh, on Saturday night at the Cobalt... Uh, there's going to be an exciting show, which has, uh, as far as I know, been doing brisk ticket sales. And uh, the band that's, that's featured is getting a lot of buzz for their wild, confetti-littered, booty-shaking live shows. They're called Topless Gay Love Techno Party. And, uh, and as I said, they'll be at the Cobalt on Saturday. The group uh, includes Dave Vertesi, member of another hot Vancouver band, Hey Ocean, as well as being a solo artist in his own right. So here's, uh, here's Topless Gay Love Techno Party with a song called Robin. Oh, 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 oh. 
that was Topless Gay Love Techno Party <laughs> with their song Robin and uh, they'll be at the Cobalt on uh, Saturday and I believe uh, doors open at 8pm and there are links uh, from our website citr.ca that will uh, lead you to uh, ticket information so that you can check them out there so uh, we're basically wrapping up uh, the show this week and uh, before we go, I wanted to tell you about um, what we've got going on uh, in the next few weeks. Now, as I said, the Push Festival is coming to a close, but uh, Peter Panties, which we did an interview on uh, last week, I believe, um, that show is beginning uh, tomorrow and will be running uh, longer than the actual festival for another week on top of the February 6th close of, of the Push Festival. So... So that's going on, and there's, uh, there's a few things still to check out up until uh, this weekend, including uh, what we talked about today, Portraits in Motion and Good Gets Better. That's coming up in the next few days, so that's worth uh, checking out. Now, we're working on some, some stories for you for the next few shows, including a feature on a book uh, written by um, Lawrence Aronson, who went to UBC and, uh, and taught uh, here, and he wrote a book about Vancouver in the 60s, and it's, the book is called City of Love and Revolution, and it's a really fascinating book that you can pick up in uh, bookstores right now. And uh, we'll have an interview about what Vancouver was like in the 60s and how it's, uh, it's changed and whether it's sold out completely now. Um, we'll also tell you about Cinema Kabuki, which has been in selling out in Toronto for, for a few years and is now coming to Vancouver. And... Uh, is going to be like live kabuki theater, which is this amazing sort of combination of uh, opera theater and sort of cool acrobatics 
work uh, all combined, and uh, it will be on high definition like movie screens here in Vancouver, at, like performances done in uh, Tokyo. So it's like it's like you're there in Tokyo in the front row, better than the front row. So we'll tell you about that uh, next uh, next week. And, uh, you know, the usual mix of uh, really good stuff. Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a concert being put on by uh, Jonathan Fluvog, who is the son of John uh, Fluvog, the, the amazing shoe maker. And they're putting on a wicked uh, festival, a day and night. It's called the Day and Night Festival. Um, a full day and then uh, an adults-only uh, evening uh, performance featuring tons of really awesome local bands. That's, uh, that's coming up. That event is coming up in a couple of weeks, and, uh, and so is that interview in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, lots of great stuff for you there. A couple of live, a couple of live shows to tell you about. Uh, tomorrow, if you want to get your live music uh, fix, uh, there's 30 Live, which uh, tomorrow is going to feature the bands Sonny Pompey, Selena Coop, and The Blank as well as the Dead Wax Collective. And they'll be at the Forum on Granville Street. That's 1163 Granville. Uh, doors open at 8. Show begins at 9.30. And tickets are 10 bucks to uh, that one. There's also uh, something happening on Tuesday, February the 8th. CITR is teaming up with the Biltmore, No More Strangers, and Beetroot Magazine to bring you Vancouver's own Teen Days with Yip Deceiver and Sugar and Gold. And that's a side project of members of, of Montreal, which is a really cool band. And that's happening Tuesday, February the 8th. Uh, doors are at 8 p.m. and tickets are $11 in advance. And you can get them from Red Cat, Zulu, uh, or the Biltmore. So, yeah, lots of good stuff there. If you see any shows, whether they are music or theater or any other kind of um, artsy stuff, we'd love to hear what you thought of the shows, and we'd be happy to read your reviews uh, over the air. And you can do that. Uh, you can email us at arts at citr.ca. That's A-R-T-S at citr.ca. And if you, you know, just want to give us some, some feedback of any variety, we'd be happy to receive it and hear from you. Otherwise, uh, that's all we have for you this week. I'd like to thank uh, Simon and Anna, as well as uh, Jeannie and Nick Panu for helping to uh, bring this show together. And, of course, I have to give a huge thank you to the comfy chair that I'm sitting on here in the studio. It has truly inspired me for this hour broadcast. It has been a true pleasure. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. If you don't, you can do that at citr.ca. Follow us on Twitter. Ah, uh, let's see, that's it. Discord or radio is next. You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM.